This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Mike Yuseem, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall. Welcome, everybody. Leadership in Action. That is us. We are at Sirius XM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania. I'm Mike Yuseem, Director of the Center for Leadership and Change. And I'm in the studio with my good friend and colleague, Jeff Klein, who is Executive Director of the Ann and John McNulty Leadership Program. Our third host and friend, Ann Greenhall, we've let her offer the evening. Jeff, with us tonight, the author, co-author of a new book, our guest is retired U.S. Army General Charles Jacoby, uh, was a four-star general, a commander of the North American Aerospace Defense Command, better known as NORAD, and also the U.S. Northern Command, one of our commands uh, like Central Command and so on. And let me give you, uh, Jeff, the title of the book, and then we're going to bring our guest onto the program, Agility. This is the book he has co-authored, How to Navigate the Unknown and Seize Opportunity in a World of Disruption. And he's written it with Leo Tillman, who also has extensive experience in business, working with companies. Many of, many of the companies like are represented in these two programs, Jeff, that you've been involved in these uh, last couple of weeks. So with that, let me bring on U.S. Army General Charles Jacoby. Good to have you on our program. Thanks. Uh, really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. And uh, please call me Chuck. Okay, Chuck. Very good. Thank you for joining the program. I'm actually going to, in a sense, delve right into the book and begin with an example that you detail considerably, and that is a company that we all know because we've been out to see these amazing films on a gigantic screen at an IMAX theater. So, Chuck, if you could just begin with that and maybe detail a little bit how this company, up against uh, tough odds, but acting and thinking agilely, managed to pull off uh, just an amazing, uh, not, not even a comeback. Uh, it looks, looks like they weren't even going to get going and are now one of the dominant uh, theaters actually not only in the U.S., but in China and elsewhere. So let's start with that. Uh, how does agility figure into what they did? Well, they they were a terrific example of agility. And... Uh, what we did was spent quite a bit of time talking to them about how they did uh, navigate uh, a disrupted environment. And really, uh, it speaks to what we consider to be the three pillars of agility, uh, risk intelligence, uh, decisiveness, and execution dexterity. And so um, all across uh, their industry, um, they found themselves in a position where uh, they could see in advance uh, that they were going to fall behind and their business model wasn't what was going to keep up with uh, the different trends in in theater. And uh, they were able to sit down and purposefully uh, chart a course and uh, measure risk and and anticipate risks that would allow them to get ahead of the trend line and position themselves uh, to uh, 
really uh, change the market uh, in fundamental ways and to change the viewing experience, uh, not just uh, the technology of it, but the whole viewing experience of audiences. So when you look at our definition of agility, which is really kind of the key to the book, um, what we said was this is a word that in many circles has become a buzzword. Uh, from my perspective in the U.S. military, it certainly had become a buzzword. It had become a buzzword for doing more with less or doing the same with less, and it usually was associated with some kind of drawdown. And uh, it really didn't have significance, and you couldn't really operationalize it. And so uh, we sat down and, and decided between the business world and the military world, what, what would we say a definition of agility is? And we say it's the organizational capacity to effectively detect, assess, and respond to environmental changes in ways that are purposeful, decisive, and grounded in a will to win. And, uh, and all of those words are chosen uh, specifically, and they apply to what IMAX did in order to turn uh, their fates around and uh, seize opportunities in the changing marketplace instead of, of failing. Uh, they were able to detect ahead of time. They were able to assess uh, the right paths to take, and they were make, able to respond to uh, the changes in the environment in a purposeful and decisive way. Now, I did hear you talking earlier about, uh, you know, winning versus learning, and we emphasize this, this issue about um, will to win, but, but we talk about it in the book uh, in a little more broad sense, and, and it's every industry, every organization, every leader really defines winning for themselves. So it's really about mission accomplishment. Chuck, know, nonprofit, nonprofits are different uh, from uh, military organizations, etc. Please go ahead. Uh, that's great. And before I hand the baton over to Jeff here, a, a quick kind of a follow-up on what this mm -hmm. feels like if you're working for IMAX at the time. Let me put a couple words out and draw upon your thinking on this. Can imagine uh, there's this act of discipline, detection, and assessment of risk, and then search for solutions and execution of solutions around that. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine the IMAX people sitting in a room thinking, hey, guys, we're going under, and we've really got to apply our, call them cognitive abilities, to understanding the market we're in and how we're going to mm -hmm. solve our problems. So... Right. Maybe to put a bow around that, it sounds like there's just a lot of mental focus and discipline required. Yeah, it, you know, and discipline is not an ugly word. <laughs> so yeah. it is, uh, um, a, you know, a disciplined way of thinking about uh, the future and and a disciplined way to make decisions uh, that are based on uh, risk intelligence, what we call risk intelligence. and And it's the other thing that we would really highlight, you'd find highlighted in the book, is that's really senior leader business. Um, that, that's what the senior folks need to be thinking about. Not the 20-meter uh, target, but the 300-meter target. And, uh, uh, and that's what the, what the leadership at IMAX did. And they reinvented, they reinvented the, the uh, company, and they... And by doing so, they also reinvented the uh, entertainment experience. So, 
Chuck, uh, let, let me add my thanks for for joining sure. the show here, and mm-hmm. and and I want to. Uh, I want to shine a little bit of a spotlight, if I can. You, you've mentioned this concept of risk intelligence uh, yeah. more than once now, and, sure. and I'm, I'm, that for me was a, a, a new term, a new characterization of kind of how we interact with risk. Um, I wonder if you you could talk a little bit about the genesis of that that term, and then contrast it with you know w- what's probably more familiar to our listeners, certainly more familiar to me, which is the practice of risk management. Yeah, Jeff. That's a, that's a great question. We've been getting, getting that quite a bit. Now, when Leo and I came together on this, uh, Leo had written a book uh, that he called Risk Intelligence. Mm-hmm. And when uh, he and I sat down and discussed that, because it was fascinating to me when I, when I had uh, been exposed to it, um, we, we call it intelligence gathering in the military. Mm-hmm. And it's about the difference between forward forward-looking anticipation and fighting for information and we we call it fighting for information it's really searching mm-hmm. uh, discovering what are the trend lines what, what's to be anticipated you know how broad is your vision how high is your aim point as opposed to what we see in uh, risk management which is a lot of really uh, assessing and reacting to uh, what is what you're measuring right now, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know it. It is a way to go beyond uh, short-term reporting and reacting, and go to anticipation and uh, the ability to plan what if and what next. And so uh, that that is really the differentiator right there. When uh, before I met Leo. <laughs> What I was thinking about it was, I was thinking in terms of uh, when you're a, a combatant commander, say, I was a commander of NORTHCOM, and you're thinking about a, the threats to North America, which were my responsibilities, um, you really want to have a comprehensive understanding of the environment. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the relationships? Who are the players? What are the emerging threats? What are the uh, second and third order effects of different activities that are going on. And that's not really uh, the risk management that I think people are familiar with today, which is really a very fully developed and and rich discipline, yet we still think it's more of a way to police and, and to measure compliance and react. Yeah, uh, yeah. And not, and that, not necessarily mitigate against... Yeah threats that could be existential or to capture opportunities that could be transformative. Yeah, and, and I I think that, Chuck, takes me to um, the next question that was bubbling up for me, which, which is, it, it doesn't sound to me that, that in your, your definition of, of risk intelligence or the, the way in which you're describing it, that, that risk is necessarily something that you would move away from. Um, it, it's more something that you accept as being part of a, a rapidly changing environment, and so then you're you're doing your best to understand for the, understand that risk and incorporate it into uh, the kind of agile leadership that you're talking about. Am I, am I thinking about that right? Yeah, you got it. Okay, you got it exactly, Jeff. I mean, the, there's a risk in inaction. There's a risk yeah. in in worrying about compliance instead of anticipation there's and and 
there is a way to turn uh, risk to your advantage, and uh, and in fact, every every movement forward is uh, is a risk. So um, uh, this is really uh, risk is really central to the conversation and agility, and how you uh, make decisions and balancing risks across what we call a portfolio of risks is how you navigate uh, a period of disruption. Chuck, I'm going to break in for just a minute and remind listeners that this is Leadership in Action, business radio of the Wharton School, Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm your host, Mike Yuseem. I'm here with Jeff Klein, and we are in conversation with uh, you, Charles Jacoby, Chuck Jacoby, uh, and implicitly your co-author here of the new book, Agility, How to Navigate the Unknown and Seize Opportunity in a World of Disruption. If you'd like to join the conversation, you know where to find us. We're at 844-942-7866. So, Chuck, just kind of one more thing that I'm thinking about around risk intelligence, and that that is really, so for, for listeners who are um, absorbing this concept and and thinking all right that that's something I'd, I'd like to start to build in myself I'd like to uh, be able to build and amplify in the people around me um, what suggestions do you have for someone who wants to build more risk intelligence capacity into their into their team into their organization right well that's a good question and the I'll, I'll take you first to the military all right this business of of uh, intelligence collection and what we would call fighting for intelligence <clears throat> is resourced. It's a core competency. It it stands side by side with operations. So um, I suppose in the business world it would be you have a you know the chief risk officer standing side by side with the chief chief operating officer, mm-hmm. and and it's. And it's not overhead, and so there there should be, or or my suggestion would be, um, when you're confident, you know what business you're really in. When you have a true north for the organization, when you have a strategy, goals, objectives, and values that that your compass needle is pointing towards, then you gaze the, across the horizon there, and you. Uh, study the environment, and there are people that make it their business to know and uh, uh, gather the trend lines and uh, get them to the senior folks and and bring them the assessments of what's happening. Uh, Not right in front of your face, not in Mm -hmm. the knife fight, because you have people that are in the knife fight. Mm -hmm. And so I know that if you talk to folks, they tell you, hey, I'm too overwhelmed with what's happening today. To worry about what's happening three months from now or three years from now, and when you get that kind of answer, you you may be uh, talking to an organization where people don't really know what their horizon is that they're supposed to be engaged in. Senior leaders have a horizon. Middle management has a horizon, yeah. and the folks at the edge of of the organization. I will tell you another thing is not to underestimate. Uh, information about trends, important trends and opportunities, threats and opportunities that exist at the edge of an organization. Mm. So this ability to to hear and understand 
what's happening at the edge of your organization where you're, you know, if you're, you're in the military, you're in contact with the enemy. What's happening at the edge there? If you're in business, you're in contact with clients. What, what are their needs? What are, what are, what's the changing environment they're facing? Mm-hmm. Um, you've, that's part of risk intelligence also. To, be, to have an organization that's able to receive, process, assess that information, detect it, assess it, and then shape responses based on that. And uh, Chuck, I, I think what part of what I heard within there, and I, I appreciate the depth of that answer, um, but there's some work that an organization's got to do before they they resource in the way that you're talking about risk intelligence, and and that that's more of the internal north internal work about having sure. that true north. Am, am I hearing that right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think, and I think that's a really important point to but let's make sure we know who we are and where we think we're going before we invest the sort of substantial resources in the risk intelligence um, gathering. Right. And you know there's uh, it's very easy for uh, a company or a military organization to to lose its way and and uh, find itself not operating according to uh, you know the the direction they'd sent for itself, and then you can find yourself making investments or taking risks uh, in areas that that uh, just just increase risk overall and and lead you down the wrong path and lead you to failure. You know the one of the things we find ourselves in the United States military right now is that counterinsurgency, which has been you know the the main effort for us for almost twenty years, has uh, led us away a bit from what our core competency is, which is the defending the nation in uh, uh, versus nation states, and we find ourselves in a uh, position that we really got to do some catching up and get back to true north. Chuck, we're just a couple of minutes from a station break, but I wanted to get us going before the break. We'll carry it over afterwards. On, <clears throat> in a sense, the the. The reason that you and your colleague here, Leo Tillman, decided to write the book the way you did, drawing both from military and business. And just to get that going, my guess is that you anticipated some common themes and they, they look more important or they're, or they're more, more evident if we see them both in military and business settings. And number two, uh, we can often, and Jeff and I do this here at, at our school, we can often learn as much about our own world by looking at somebody else's world and thus combining military and business examples and rationales. Um, I'm anticipating that was a major consideration behind your decision to do the book together. Yes, um, and, and that's a mouthful. And uh, I, I believe you start with what we found to be um, very interesting and similar in many ways environments, competitive environments, uh, environments which include conflict, and environments which are, as Clausewitz would say, uh, uh, you know, cloaked in fog and friction and produced in where people act in environments of uncertainty. And that's where agility, we hope, emerges as more of a universal. Uh, requirement idea than just 
something the military worries about or something a business worries about or something an athlete worries about. It's really part of the environment of any, any competitive, any conflicted, uh, any uncertain environment. And <clears throat> Chuck, with about a minute to go here, help us appreciate why you and Leo in particular came together on this. Well, we, I just retired, and uh, we were, uh, came together in a group, and we were talking about private, uh, public-private partnerships. And, uh, you know, before meeting Leo, I looked at some of the things he'd written. I'd written an article on agility. He'd written an article on risk intelligence. We started talking about it. And we both kind of proceeded from the idea that uh, there was a common requirement here for defining agility and for describing it in a way, in a holistic way. Uh, I actually came to it from uh, a little bit of a, a, a position of cynicism in that every time we had uh, drawn the military down, cut the budget, cut the, uh, uh, the size and the force structure, uh, you know, we had always said, well, we're still going to do the same mission. We're still going to defend the country and and do all these things, which means we're going to do the same with less or more with less, but we're going to lean on being uh, faster, more lethal, more this, more that, and more agile. And, of course, those words really lost meaning over time. They weren't in doctrine. They, they, were, uh, they really masked all kinds of problems that, under the surface, we didn't, didn't allow us to make purposeful decisions in budget-tight times or in mission-constrained times. We are in discussion with now-retired four-star Army General Charles Jacoby, co-author of a book. Let me give you the full title, Agility, subtitle, How to Navigate the Unknown and Seize Opportunity in a World of Disruption. So, Jeff, why don't you get us going? All right. Thanks, Mike. Chuck, you had noted, and, and I can definitely corroborate this on the business side, that, that the term agility had been c- becoming rather generic, right? It was being used in kind of lots of different contexts, and it, it sort of sat somewhere in the intersection between flexibility and adaptability and throw some, maybe sprinkle some resilience in there, et cetera. Um, and, and, and so I, I want to go back to the definition that you were offering um, and, and specifically focus on that that first part of the definition, which was about detection and assessment and response and and ask if you could walk us through because I mean, that's a much more direct definition than a lot of the ways I, I'd been hearing agility used um, and, and walk us through what that process looks like and, and why those words were chosen so deliberately. Yeah. So um, we both Leo and I come from you know a position where we really thought that words mattered when uh, you're making uh, important decisions at you know senior leader levels, and that as as you know the directions and guidance moved down in the army, the chain of command, and then business moved through the through the uh, business you know channels of accountability. Mm-hmm. Everybody kind of needs to understand exactly what we're talking about, mm-hmm. and and so um, detect, assess, and respond to environmental changes. 
um, and and to do it effectively. So um, it's not just uh, gathering data. It's not just um, uh, you know an uh, algorithm that's that's uh, you know telling you how many of this and how many of that. And it is really a more comprehensive uh, look at you know where do where should we be looking, with whom should we be looking, uh, what resources should be applied, what what resources are required to see and understand, and then uh, you know how, do we have a culture that allows us to assess in a uh, tr- truthful and transparent way, so that. Um, we we gain gain an understanding of environmental changes in a way that allows us to make these purposeful, decisive um, move movements grounded in the will to win. And so, um, it you know we really are trying to leap beyond uh, you know just in the military we we really we struggle with the assessment phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and we we know we need to assess how we're doing, but uh, what we find ourselves what, uh, doing is is really uh, we have to lift our our view up all the time to be ahead of uh, the decision making cycle of our competition or our enemies. And and Leo felt the same way about it uh, in business with and, uh, competitors. Yeah. I'm curious as I think about this, and I, I you know, I, I hear you using, you know, kind of this cyclical framework. Mm-hmm. It is agility in this way? Is it kind of an always present aspect of leadership, or is, you know, and or is there a cyclicality to it where, um, you know, either on a seasonal basis or annual basis or something, you're you're uh, activating a process and moving through a process. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and uh, and I'm glad you I'm glad you pointed that out. And the uh, it really for me it comes from our decision making model in the uh-huh. United, States, United States Army, which is we are constantly running through that process of detecting, assessing, responding, detecting, uh, assessing, responding, because every action. Uh, causes a reaction which prompts a counteraction mm-hmm. uh, in the military and it does in any competitive environment and in any conflict environment and and so uh, you know inherent in our definition and in our our conceptualization of agility is this is a continuous uh, nonlinear process which uh, the entire organization has to go through in order to be agile. And, and to that end, uh, I would also, it's another important component of the book that, that uh, you know, agility it has to exist at the strategic level of, of an organization, but also has to exist at, at the uh, tactical level of the organization or the organization is not truly agile. Yeah, and, and I... I... I think that's that's another really important comment there um, because it, it does strike me if this is you know a, a process which is always activated um, mm-hmm. it it's going to require a lot of communication and coordination 
throughout the organization, throughout the enterprise. And, and you know, we've had, uh, you know, General Stanley McChrystal on, on the show before, and he's talked about his team of team models and, and some of the ways in which he thought about, he and his team thought about um, changing communication patterns and who had access to what information. I mean, w- what does agile leadership suggest about the ways in which communication needs to, to occur and flow within an organization. Right. Well, uh, it, it's uh, interesting that you mentioned Stan. Stan and I were battalion commanders together <laughs> way back when, so we've served together a couple of times. And I, I would hope that there's some intersections between the sure. way we've written uh, about this. Um, you know, teamwork is really an imperative in uh, the U.S. military, and I think it's an imperative in any organization that seeks to be agile. And I think that uh, one of the ideas about uh, being an agile leader that I've come to believe is that an agile leader is capable of building teams of diverse organizations or personalities that can come together and act with unity of effort and common purpose. But to do that, it requires uh, transparency, it requires communication, it requires trust. Mm -hmm. And so um, um, in that environment, and uh, and I think I heard you talking about it earlier on on your show today, in that environment, um, you know, people are able to to, uh, share information. Uh, I think it's uh, critical that there there be very few limits on the sharing of information, as few as possible, and that uh, it's uh, eagerly accepted up and down and across the uh, breadth of the organization. Chuck, let me take this and make it, uh, in a sense, personal with two questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, and again, <laughs> this is a challenge we face here, how do you take the ideas that are so well laid out in the book and with those who haven't appreciated what they might do, how do you get the ideas to stick? So stickiness, I think, is the question there. How do you walk through agility, these different pieces, and uh, <laughs> hopefully have them leave the room or leave the read of your book or leave, the read, uh, leave a seminar with you? So that that's the um, stickiness side. And then the second question is, why do some people in your own experience not get it? Well, you know, important questions. And, and when you read the book, one of the concerns we had is that people not feel overwhelmed with, gee whiz, I just don't have the bandwidth to build this, you know, utopian organization. And first of all, I want... Leo and I fundamentally believe that that uh, agility is achievable, it, and it's a choice. Mm. And it really starts with the boss. <laughs> so mm. he's, he or she have to decide that uh, they're missing something here, and they need to do it, uh, you know, far enough ahead of a calamity that they can put some things into into practice. But it is achievable. And uh, you can you can change uh, the culture and the philosophy and those things in an organization. And and I guess also that 
if if a boss is smart enough or a commander smart enough to say, you know, I just feel we're missing something here and, and we're behind, you know, we're behind our enemy's decision cycle or we're behind the the uh, curve in, you know, digital remastering of films, um, the boss can uh, can sit back and and uh, just make a decision uh, to move in certain directions, and he's probably smart enough uh, to realize that not everything in his organization is broken. Uh, there are some things that important things he can fix, and in priority. And so, we think that um, looking through our book, you can see there's. You could assess for yourself whether your organization is doing these things or not doing doing these things, and and ask those questions for yourself, and and decide where can you be more agile, or where can you be more transparent, or where can you empower the edge of your organization more. Uh, and so, uh, I guess uh, you know we also believe that. Uh, this is not a question of the DNA of a senior leader. I mean, we think that mm-hmm. experience does matter, and we think that uh, repetitions and learning from failure matters. And uh, so, uh, we don't we don't want people we want people to get excited about the opportunity to become agile themselves as leaders, and for their organizations to become agile. It is it is possible, and it is important. A brief comment here to our listeners. You're tuned in to Channel 132, Sirius XM, business radio powered by our school, the Wharton School. And we're in conversation with four-star Army General Charles Jacoby, co-author of Agility. And just to follow up on that, uh, Chuck, uh, this question, based on what you've said, by the way, we're in totally the same philosophical corner of the world, it often begins at the top, very important, and number two, maybe most important of all, everybody, because it's not a DNA trait that you're given or not not given, everybody can be more agile if they think it through and work on it. And to that end, as you've worked with many people now, both in business and the military, I'm going to guess that examples like your opening example of the comeback of IMAX and then a later example, U.S. experience in Normandy, are among the compelling illustrations. So I guess the question comes down to this. How important for bringing top people and then the front line in is it, is it to have a really compelling example where you can see risk intelligence and so on? What do you think? Yeah, well, it starts with the boss, and then it it uh, moves across and down through the organization as you achieve buy-in. And, you know, perhaps it's over overused word, but it really is about creating a culture in the organization where everybody understands the contribution that they make to the organization, how they make it agile, uh, everybody understands what authority they have, they, what responsibilities they have, and uh, are are and feel uh, that that they feel accountable for the accomplishments of the of the mission of the organization. And uh, our Leo and I both agreed that 
you know, if we'd put a picture in the book, it would have been the picture of uh, Dwight David Eisenhower talking to the paratroopers mm-hmm. before they jumped in at Normandy. And so he was the supreme Allied commander of, of millions of troops that were about ready to embark on the, you know, entering the heart of Europe. But uh, at the moment of decision, uh, when when his decisions, all the many decisions he had made for years leading up to this, uh, he was at the very edge of his organization, letting them know how important their part in the unfolding of the grand adventure was going to be. Think of the power of, you know, 600,000 men and women uh, pulling, all pulling an oar in the same direction. Mm-hmm. And, and every one of them, every one of them feeling some accountability for, for the outcome and 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 that's why this empowerment idea is so important and i always used to say that you know it's a risk it's a risk to to uh you know pass on power and authority and decision making you know as far down the chain of command as as you can but the payoff is incredible and uh and i would take 15% losses and mistakes to get 85% success and in, in well executed uh, you know at the at the edge of the organization and innovation at the edge of the organization and and discipline at the edge of the organization that's that's getting us towards the objective to me that's what normandy uh represented and and of course you know the 75th anniversary staring us in the face when we finished the mm-hmm. book uh kind of led us to decide to finish with that one and uh and the remarkable outcome that that uh, that was, and 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 IMAX is the same way. So, you know, Chuck, as I, I'm listening to this last part of the conversation, um, and I'm I'm still kind of filled up, as you heard me talking about at the beginning of the show. Uh, I've been working with these these two senior executive groups, and you know, a lot of the conversation that that we've been having. Um, within the advanced management program has has really been about leadership within rapidly changing environments and the the new skills the new um, knowledge uh, that that's necessary to be successful and and so as is often the case on this show this this conversation is kind of serendipitous for me um, one of the things I'm wondering about and, and kind of where I left the the conversation with our executive groups um, is what does what does recovery look like in a rapidly changing environment or the you know the military term tends to be the the, the VUCA acronym meaning volatile and uncertain and complex and ambiguous and and so you put all of your agile leadership skills um, to the test you empower and and really rely upon agility and leadership um, from your teams and what are what's necessary in terms of uh, making sure that both the individuals and the organizations can recover from that kind of you know persistent uh, need right um, I guess uh, in recovery if you mean there's some kind of end you know, that's been reached, an objective that's been reached, and or uh, an event has occurred or, or you know, something 
you know, definitive has happened. Mm -hmm. And I would go back to your comments about, uh, you know, this this being a cyclical proposition, mm -hmm. a nonlinear proposition. I mean, for the United States military, uh, it's easier because we're not going to go out of business right. in, unless the country goes out of business, and then we ought to go out of, out of business. It's probably our fault. <laughs> so, um, but we are, you know, in a constantly, you know, what's next mode and what if mode. And so there really is no end. It's sequencing of campaigns. And I think in business, it's, you know, what's your value proposition and how do you continuously update your value proposition? I would say also in business, it's, it's this idea of what kind of business are you in and having a clear view of that. I mean, maybe you are in a business where you're, uh, you're trying to, you know, accomplish a certain objective and when it's over, you're, you're happy to sell and and move on to the to the next uh, next proposition and endeavor, but I think that's important for both the leader and the led to understand. Uh, again, back to back to true north. What are, what's the purpose of the business? It's interesting that the group of CEOs that got together and and decided that the purpose of the corporation mm. needed to be rethought. And I think that that was a, uh, you know, an elegant uh, approach to, uh, you know, uh, thinking about agility of the corporation at the, at the highest level. And, uh, and it should start a lot of thinking on that. You know, what is the value proposition of corporations? And Chuck, just to reference it for our yeah. listeners, this is a now a very important statement that came out in August from the Business Roundtable. Mm -hmm. is setting forth um, an, a much broader agenda for them than creating shareholder value. Very important <laughs> statement. Chuck, we're almost out of time. Let me ask, by way of closing here, two more personal questions. Sure. Looking back on your own career, the many places of service that you uh, served for the United States um, in uniform, mm -hmm. when... In a sense, this is an overly, simpl overly simplified way of putting it, but when did you get it, that agility was so central to command and leadership? I guess, um, you know, I started, I started uh, seeing it and thinking about it at uh, mid-level command, battalion command. Uh, that's about a six, 700-person organization where... Uh, you're really beginning to have uh, the ability to accomplish important missions, and uh, but yet you're still very close to the edge of the organization. And it was a viewpoint where I could see where uh, decisions that I was making and buy-in that I was achieving and trust that we were gathering an accountability that was uh, going both ways, uh, down from the top and up from the bottom, was delivering results, and so it's kind of a mm. unique, it's a unique command position where you're you're still able uh, to see both sides. And I will tell you that I had some terrific mentors that um, you know were were over us at that time, men like John Abizade and mm. George Casey and and others, and and. And I, I know the same exists in business and the conversations that I've had with 
with Leo, and I know it's not dissimilar from what you probably heard from Stan and Bill McRaven and other folks in, in the special ops world. But but that that's and and I wouldn't say that you know I wouldn't declare that I got it. I would just declare, but that I was seeing it. Yep. I was seeing yep. the the parts of it. I I think as a senior leader in Iraq, I was in Afghanistan. Uh, larger organizations, more complex and uncertain environments. I was being more purposeful in doing uh, agile things and building uh, agile teams and thinking of it in those terms Uh, because, of course, they were very complex environments. There was uncertainty about the goals and objectives. There were, um, you know, partners with shifting uh, uh, views. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I could see myself acting in what I would describe now as a more agile way as a commander. And uh, now in a position to reflect back and say, you know, okay, what, what am I pulling out of all my experiences and combining those with Leo's to think about this business of agility of of more of a universal uh, requirement or characteristic of organizations and leaders uh, that uh, this uh, rapidly changing environment uh, necessitates. And, I, and, and that I think uh, we need to, I'll need to emphasize it again. I, I'm all about this idea that there is opportunity in disruption. There's opportunity in uncertainty. And and that uh, you know our philosophy of command in the military is that we'll, that will dominate that uncertainty, and uh, and I think that there's some truth to that in business as well. Chuck, that's a great note to end on. Thank you for looking back. Thank you for serving the country for many years, and above all, this evening, thank you for joining us on this discussion. Um, the book again. I'm just going to repeat the title: Agility. Uh, it's available on uh, all the usual websites. So, Chuck, thank you very much for being here this evening. Thanks. I appreciate it, Mike and Jeff. Okay. Thank you, Chuck. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 